Hello and welcome to another episode of Watch the Game presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host Sam Blazer and we're here for a very special American Thanksgiving edition of Watch the Game. I'm joined by Cam Lewis and Jeff Fayette. Cam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great and I couldn't imagine as a Canadian feeling any more patriotic about Thanksgiving than I do right now. And uh, Jeff- I'm uh- I'm in the same boat. I mean, uh, I think there's no better way to celebrate American Thanksgiving than having someone from Edmonton and someone from Toronto uh, come in and talk about how great our country is, you know? Exactly. It's going to be fantastic. And that's going to be the theme of this episode is we're going to talk about each NHL team, what they should be thankful for, and, you know, break them down at least, you know, 15 to 20 games into the season. Uh, Cam, you want to get us started? Yeah, we'll start. We're going to do this in alphabetical order, so I'll start with the Anaheim Ducks, who should be very thankful they get to play in the Pacific Division, meaning the Edmonton Oilers are the first-place team. And despite the fact that the Ducks are right now sitting in fourth in the division, they're only three points behind Edmonton for first, meaning they haven't played all that well, but they can definitely like pick it right back up and catch up because there's a team there just waiting to kind of fall apart, I think. I, Anaheim, you know my feelings on Anaheim, Cam. Adam, I'm the bottom five team in the league, as you predicted at the beginning of the year, and, said, and loves to remind us about. You know, they had an absolutely terrible start. I do not like almost anything about that team except for the defense. I think their forwards are kind of trash outside of, you know, Perry and Gitzlaff. And, I mean, you know, Silverberg's there, uh, Richard Rakel's there, and I think they're good. I don't think like those forwards are good. I just really don't have any faith in them whatsoever. Uh, I think that they should be thankful for Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry because without this team, you know, or, you know, without them on this team, they would be they would be a bottom five team. I'm I'm realizing slowly but surely, Cam, that the prediction is more more than likely going to be wrong. But I'm I'm thinking about doubling down on this bet. What 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 exactly should we do if uh, I end up getting this wrong? Should I have to like you know walk around Columbus and like a Ducks outfit for a day. I don't, uh, I don't mind. I don't know. I, I, I feel like it should relate. I, I feel like we should change the bet around to whether, because we all know the Ducks aren't going to finish bottom five, but the bet should be whether they finish higher in the standings than the Columbus Blue Jackets, which which matters to you, I guess. But I mean, <laughs> I, I don't. Which matters, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I think overall that I, I don't have a doubt in my mind as of right now, that the Columbus Blue Jackets are going to finish above the Anaheim Ducks. I'm doubling down, baby. I think that the Ducks, no, there's no way that they're going to finish above them. As of right now, current point pace, regression, everything included into what's going to be happening with the Blue Jackets, they're on like a 93-point pace, which I'm completely <laughs> I'm completely fine with. I think that, and I think they'll do it too. Just cause, And I actually wrote a piece about this at Buckeye State Hockey about why why some of their numbers are just a tad bit inflated due to a, uh, only a few games and how it can be corrected. And they've actually won the uh, Corsi battle in the past five games and two of those games against the Capitals, one of those games against the Rangers. So it's been uh, an interesting roller coaster for them. But, Jeff, what do you think about the Anaheim Ducks? Is it, what, what exactly should they be thankful for? I'm tired of talking about this uh, supposed bet. They should uh, they should be thankful for Randy Carlyle. He's uh, clearly taught them how to win um, about three quarters of the games that they did last year, and I think that's very important. That's uh, going to make them realize what they need to do to compete, and it's going to make them do great things Disney movie style. I there's a strong chance that you're never going to receive a Christmas card from Randy Carlyle, right, Jeff? Um, I might get a toaster. I'm not 100 percent sure. <laughs> 
we the Ducks overall. I am not a big fan of them. The Pacific Division is weak, but what do you think, Cam? Is do you, like where do you think they end up like this end of the season? Where do the Ducks end up? I'm guessing they finish second in the division, and I bet you San Jose finishes first. It goes San Jose, Anaheim, L.A., Edmonton, fourth. But I, I really can't see the Ducks sliding out there largely because, I mean, of course there's the Randy Carlisle regression factor, but this is largely the same team that was there last year. Plus the division, as I've said, is is quite poor, having watched it now for slightly over a month, watching these teams come in and out at Edmonton and get and have not as good of a time as they should against an Oilers team that is not very deep beyond one player. They're, they're really confusing, but you know we'll, t- we'll touch on them soon enough. But should we move over to the Eastern Conference and talk about uh, the top alph- alphabetical team there? That's the Boston Bruins. That is the Boston Bruins. What exactly should the Boston Bruins be thankful for? Uh, they A lot of people expected some regression, and they're uh, not seeing it there. What, uh, what, do you th- what do you think they should be thankful for, Cam? Uh, definitely is the Chara channeling the are finding the fountain of youth and looking like what he looked like five years ago and just looking incredible having um Brandon Carlo on his on the top pair beside him and they look phenomenal also Brad Marchand's contract getting that done so they don't have to deal with the anxiety of having an impending unrestricted free agent top player throughout the entire season which is quite the bliss to have I think Jeff I think uh I think you can add David Pasternak to that too he's been uh not necessarily. Obviously, he's not a rookie, but he's been a he's been a bit of a I would say uh, of a special one this year. He's at a he's at a point per game pace. He's looking like he's the the prospect they thought he was. Uh, definitely was a steal for them late in that 2014 first round. Um, he's gonna be he's gonna be a heck of a player, and he already is right now. I don't even understand how they were able to get him on the other half of the 2014 draft. It's like unbelievable when you think about it. You're like. The, he's so dynamic and he's been that since he was drafted and I am baffled at how they're able to get him and how they're you know able to overlook that by the same token though it almost goes against completely what the Bruins drafting style has been for a very long time you know they have the you know they have the Krejci's they have the Marchands but then you look at their defense and you look at some of the players they've drafted uh, I mean what was it? Uh, Reese Jessup's uh, tweet that said, "Oh shit, they Barzell, could get Kyle Tim and um, Kyle Connor." Yeah, and exactly. Going with three guys totally off the board, <laughs> and that's that's become one of uh, hockey Twitter's favorite tweets. And I think overall they are going to end up being fine for this year, but I still think that they're a top pick in the years ahead to you know regress because I don't think that their age gap is closing anytime soon. They don't realize, you know, the aging players need to go and they don't realize that the youth movement may need to be embraced there. But, you know, that's not for me to worry. I'm not a Bruins fan. I'm not Bruins management. So, hey. <laughs> the um, the one great thing about that retweet too, is when, uh, when he took the job with the Panthers, it was the only thing that he kept from before that. <laughs> I know. I, when, when I saw that, people were like, oh, he got hired. I went over to his Twitter and I saw that and I go, you know, that's, that doesn't get any better. That's, that's how to, you know, leave, leave Twitter and go to a job. Cam, you got the uh, next uh, Western Conference team? Yeah, it's really hard to think of something for the Arizona Coyotes to feel thankful for. But what, the, one, the one that really jumps up to me is Jacob Chaitrin. Um, they took a bit of a risk going and moving up in the draft, taking on Pavel Datsuk's contract and drafting him because he fell largely due to injury concerns. And since, I mean, kept breaking in on his rookie season, he's been like surprisingly fantastic for an 18-year-old defenseman, whereas 
the rest of their rookies have not been quite so great. Christian Dvorak struggled. Um, Anthony Duclair is not a rookie again, but he's had a really rough year. Dylan Strom's back in the OHL now. It's been not quite the youth movement that we expected from Arizona, because I remember people said that, I, I guess you guys could probably uh, uh, say I'm either right or wrong here, but people said that there was a, there was like a, there was reason to believe that the Coyotes had like a stronger prospect core than the Leafs did, and it sure as hell hasn't shown so far. Jeff? Oh, well, I'm not going to dispute anybody who says that the Leafs have a better prospect pool than <laughs> just about uh, just about any team in the league. But yeah, the um, I guess what the Coyotes, honestly, for all that we need to be thankful for is that this year is going to end for them soon. It's just uh, things are not going as planned there. But at the same time... Uh, they, they they still have a lot to look forward to in the future. Uh, just, uh, yeah, I, I think they thought they'd be better than they were this year. They've had a lot of unfortunate luck in a lot of games. Uh, and, yeah, at some point this year just has to end for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, they have a very, very strong, very young pool. And there's actually a couple scouts that I talked to before the season started who thought exactly what a lot of the prognosticators said about the Coyotes is that they thought they were going to be have an outside shot in the Pacific Division, but it really hasn't come together. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think another high draft pick will be good for them. And then when they start filling in around them, it'll uh, really start coming to fruition there. But what they should be thankful for is the possibility of a new arena. We talked about it before. Uh, and I guess it's not necessarily set in stone, but this is the general plan. They're not trying to ask for much of the state's money, if at all. I don't know how well it's going to go, considering how odd their arena situation has been, you know, the past you know ten, fifteen years. But I think as of right now, the the sign of hope <laughs> there for them with that arena should be a definite plus for them. Um, moving to the Buffalo Sabers, though, uh, Toronto's uh, you know small little cousin. Um, what should they be <laughs> thankful for, uh, Jeff? The, the Sabres? Sorry, I, I, um, the Sabres. I spaced out. Uh, that Jack Eichel's coming back soon. Uh, that's uh, that's going to that's gonna be huge for them. He, I still think the world of him as a player. I think he's going to be one of the best players in the league, even this year. Uh, it was it was a bit of a shame to see him disappear, uh, no doubt. But but his, he's getting, I think he's within like a week of coming back or something close to that. And yeah, that might turn them around into a team that's got some semblance of respectability in the standings because it's uh once again not looking all too great for them right now cam i think they should be really really thankful about their goaltending situation i mean andres nielsen kind of popped out of nowhere and in his five games has like a 950 save percentage and if it not have been for their goalies their injuries as jeff mentioned to like jack eichel and um yonder kane was out for some time too if not for the way their goalies have stepped up this their season would be over they'd probably be mathematically eliminated from the playoffs by now but there's still like i mean i don't know half the teams in this league make the playoffs so like everyone's in the playoff race but thanks to their goalies they're still actually kind of there so when eichel does come back something good could actually happen in buffalo yeah and leonard's been fantastic for them too like he's played i think three quarters of the starts and while he doesn't he isn't putting up nelson numbers obviously no one normally puts up nelson <laughs> numbers does. uh he's still at a 922 which is that's that's still top end goaltending um but i mean that's been buffalo for a while they've they'll have one goalie who kind of pops in does really well um it, hopefully it's not like 2015 where they go and say oh you're playing too well and trade them but uh <laughs> But it, but that looks good. If you have a couple of pieces that are that are playing up to sniff, that's uh, that's what a rebuilding team wants, especially once they're starting to climb up. 
Sure. I, I got to agree with you, Jeff. Uh, Jack Eichel is what they need to be thankful for. His return is going to be absolutely fantastic for him. Big boon there. Um, something that gets overlooked a lot when these top players end up coming back is the players that are on the second or third line that end up getting shifted down and end up having such a big opportunity, better line matching. You know, it ends up, the depth on the team ends up getting more breathing room than they're able to perform. And I think a lot of times that's overlooked. Obviously, Jack Eichel's going to come back and, you know, score his brains out. But we're we're hoping that on the other end, or at least if you're a Buffalo fan, you're hoping on the other end that, you know, the the players like the Ryan O'Reilly's, the Sam Reinhardt's are already performing. But they, these are guys that, you know, hopefully they'll get end up getting more favorable matchups with Jack Eichel back on the ice. And then um, I was going to I was going to say thank I was going to be thankful for a certain beat writer in uh, Buffalo. But I think I'm just going to actually pass over him. You know, I he may just end up getting coal in his stocking. I won't I won't touch too long on that one. Uh, Cam, if- give the next one. Yeah, we'll move away from <laughs> Jeff. Name, Jeff, like Jeff said, the first words, and he goes, I, "I think Jeff was about to like start roasting him." I, I kind of no, no, want to no, leave no. the floor open. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, he, um, if if we're talking about who I think we're talking about, he unblocked me recently just so he could uh, use videos of Kadri hitting uh, hitting Hanson uh, in an argument, uh, which <laughs> is par for the course. Um, I'm assuming I'm about to be on the block list again, so uh, so cheers, MH. Uh, moving on. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So uh, we're onto the Calgary Flames now, and I guess there's not a hell of a lot. I'm kind of in a in a bad zone here with bad Western Conference teams, but there's not a hell of a lot for the Flames to be thankful for. But one thing definitely is the fact that they haven't traded Dougie Hamilton yet which is excellent because you see his name in trade rumors and you think, why on earth are you doing that to yourself? I mean, they acquired him a couple summers ago for just like a tiny package in comparison to what you'd think you'd have to give up for a top pairing defense, but then they just haven't utilized him in that way. And there seems to be this confusion that Dougie Hamilton hasn't been, you know, the like offensive minute munching defenseman that he was in Boston in Calgary, but that's because they're using him on their third pairing. And I mean, they they only gave up, like two picks for him and now there's rumors that they want to just like flip him around somewhere else and probably get even lower value which i mean really makes no sense to me but flames fans should be thankful that that hasn't come into fruition yet hopefully it doesn't happen in the off season for their sake but i mean if it does then jesus i don't know yeah and even with the talk of him not really scoring like nobody on the flames is scoring i think he's still third in points and first on the on defense and points by a decent margin uh he's he's still bringing it it's a matter of that entire team is just snake bits all hell right now i think it was ryan lambert who said that you know when he's played with anyone that's you know outside of the third pairing like you know a possible uh borderline nhler He's had numbers that are comparable to a lot of first uh, pairing people. And most recently, the past couple games, he's been playing with Mark Giordano. And so that's obviously going to help him out a bunch. Because if he ends up uh, coming through and performing, they're obviously going to be getting their money's worth, especially with those two paired together. And I think, much like the Arizona Coyotes, the Flames have a good future there. There are some pieces that they should be excited about. You know, Monaghan, Gaudreau, Hamilton. That defense is fantastic. I... I like where they're heading. Do you, are you guys fans of the Flames and their development thus far? I mean, they're not blowing anybody's minds with the way that they're going, but there are there are still pieces like you ha- you have Gaudreau locked up uh, after that extended stalemate. If you keep Hamilton, you have him. Matthew Kachuk has looked pretty good. There's a lot of guys on that team that look like they can be regular contributors. Uh, nobody who really stands out outside of Gaudreau, but. 
a, they, they can at least maintain something. And if they can be shrewd uh, with a couple of picks down the line, get a couple of undervalued free agent signings. Uh, I think it's actually, that's kind of something we talked about last time that any team can really uh, sustain themselves and they may, if they make the right decisions. And I think that's where Calgary is. They're not in a place where they have an abundance, but they're in a place where they're not, where they haven't exactly put themselves into a corner where they can, where they're set up to fail. Cam? Yeah, no, I definitely. That's exactly how I feel about the Flames too. I feel like if they went into like a pretty massive rebuild right now, they have quite a few assets they could probably sell off. But I feel like their window to be a really good team is this like ridiculously team friendly TJ Brody contract, which I'm fairly sure has three years left on it. And then uh, by the end of that, he's probably going to be looking at quite a big pay raise. By the end of that, Mark Giordano is going to be a fossil. So they're kind of in a weird position where they have a lot of good young talent that hasn't come into its own, Matthew DeChuck, Sam Bennett. And by the time it does come into reaching its fruition or coming into fruition, then I feel like the core of older good players are going to be too old, which is kind of, they're kind of in a, in a, in a middle ground right now. So I'm not really sure where they're at or what they want to do. It's kind of, they're kind of a confusing team to follow. They have a tiny bit of a window too that they can take advantage of like the Pacific Division being weak. But I don't know if they're actually going to be able to do that. They're, they. I know that like you know Burke is there, True Living's there. I think that they could take advantage of it, but I'm not entirely sure. I I like their young core. Their older core kind of worries me. I I am. I think they're going to be one of the more fascinating teams to follow over the next couple of years. Um, moving back to the Eastern Conference, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. What do you think they have to be thankful for? I think they have a great defense. The rumors about them moving um, should not be something that the fans are thankful for. But overall, I think they're well, another team that's heading in the right direction. Their goaltending is atrocious. I, what, what exactly are the Carolina Hurricanes, Cam? Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, like you said, are thankful that they exist. I mean, I, 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 I don't know a hell of a lot about their ownership situation just because, I don't know, it's the Carolina Hurricanes, but... This is one of those. This is one of those team names that comes up all the time when you're thinking about, I say, Quebec City or Seattle possible relocation. I mean, things haven't gone particularly well for them ever since they beat the Oilers in the finals in 2006. They've only made the playoffs once since then. They've consistently been at the bottom of the leagues uh, uh, for, I mean, um, for attendance. And I mean, I, I don't know. Things just aren't looking that great for the franchise. But it would really suck for the fans if they. Um, if the team did move, obviously, because that sucks. But they also have like a damn good young group. Like their their blue line's just absurd. The amount of talent they have back there. So it just it would just be a damn shame to watch a bad team for a decade and then have them move elsewhere, and be good. That'd be like the Seattle SuperSonics, Oklahoma City Thunder scenario. I um I think that they should be thankful for Scandinavia. Uh, they have uh, it, it seems like they have a couple really good young guys, and they all seem to be finished in Swedish. Victor Rask is playing at nearly a point a game pace. That Teravainen trade looks better and better by the day. I guess that's what happens when uh, when your team is a floor team and you can take on some extra salary. Uh, I think Sebastian Ajo is a prospect that doesn't get enough credit. Uh, he's he's playing at a half point per game pace for them this year as a rookie. Uh, I think that's going to pick up as the season progresses, and he's going to be a very legitimate player in the league. And even Elias Lindholm, he's not completely up to his normal pace, but uh, but but he's still a guy that we all see a lot of potential in. So on top of having that defense that isn't exactly jumping at you with brand names outside of you know Noah Hannafin, who we all think is going to be a top-notch player in this league um there there are still some good guys and they just all happen to be from that small little pocket of uh of europe cam western conference team 
Western Conference team, Chicago Blackhawks, like the player that they should be thankful for. Uh, I guess I have two for them specifically right now. One of them should be Marion Hosa, who's like at 38 years old, having one of the best seasons he's had recently, which is huge for this team and their, you know, their lack of depth. As we all know, you look at their cap situation and they're paying $36 million for four players. And I mean, it's pretty hard to put a team together when that's the when that's the scenario. But they also need to be thankful for Corey Crawford, who's just like severely underrated. I, I don't I don't know if he's still underrated, but I remember in the past few years, it was always Corey Crawford's along for the ride. He's kind of the Chris Chris Osgood of this generation, and it's like that's the if there's a cap hit, they're going to dump their six million dollars right there. But he's been like like really damn good for like quite some time. Yeah, for the past, I think, four or five years now, he's put up lights-out numbers. Like, I remember when it was the same thing, too. It was, oh, okay, well, Crawford's a good enough goalie. And then for a while, he was a good enough goalie in a in a positive way, where he was just around the average, and he was a guy who can reliably win you games. And now he's just legitimately good, and that's scary, because the Hawks are a good offensive team, and he can bail them out on nights where they... Uh, where, where they slip up. But I think if there's anyone they need to be thankful for, it's Richard Ponick. As you all know from the, all the talks a couple of weeks ago, one of the best players in the league now. He's broken out and he has no points in three games. Never mind. Let's go on to the next team. <laughs> or not three games, three weeks. Jeez, I need to I need to deliver my jokes better. No, it's all good. We need to get you some coffee except without the Splenda packets in it, right? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, no, the Blackhawks are always interesting to me. And I think they should be thankful for... Their core. They have, you know, some players that need to be locked up, but they also have some players that are kind of iffy, uh, locked up, like, you know, say, like a Brent Seabrook there. And it's not necessarily helping them out. So they're having to fill it in with players like Kempney, Mott, uh, Hartman, people like that. People that, honestly, not a lot of people know about unless they really, really pay attention to the game. And they're still doing a great job. And I think that's, you know, they got to be thankful for their management. That's unbelievable that they're still able to stay afloat despite, you know, some of their cap crunch uh, numbers there. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with Artemi Panarin um, this next year or so in his contract. Because how exactly are you going to be able to get uh, keep him on this team with everything that's going on already and i think a lot what they may end up doing and i'll have to look at you know a lot of the movement clauses and things like that is leaving one of those big time players exposed in the expansion draft and hope and cross their fingers that the uh that the uh, vegas golden knights end up taking one of them that's that's gonna be a really interesting situation i feel like every year that's the storyline is that the Chicago Blackhawks or always the annual to dump fire somebody. sale. Yeah, the annual Chicago Blackhawks cap crunch fire sale every single year. I have no clue how they're going to fit Panarin in, unless, like you said, they can expose, say, Brent Seabrook, for example, and get that six point eight seven five million cap out of there, and that pretty much cover Panarin's phone, uh, upgrade in salary. There, I that's something you know completely to get away from the like the thankful nature of what we're doing on each of these teams. I really, really am interested to see how the Vegas Golden Knights go about building their defense. Jeff and I talked about you know one way of doing it last time, but I wonder if there's they might take a couple of players that have interesting um, you know cap hits, like players that you know may have high end um, you know four or five six million dollars to be paid for them. And then, you know, some that have longer-term contracts, some have short-term. Like, you know, there's, like, uh, the Seabrooks. There's uh, Jack Johnson. There's people like that that are out there that I wonder if they're going to end up taking them just as, you know, have a formidable defense just right off the bat. <laughs> if they want to have a formidable defense, I'm sure that 
I don't know if Jack Johnson's really the best player to take. No, I, I, no, trust me. I do. I am probably one of the number one haters on Jack Johnson, but the amount of like times that, you know, uh, other people come into town and say, you know, uh, nice things about him. And, you know, other times where he's like in these trade rumors and stuff, it's always kind of like, I don't see, I don't get it, but there's obviously some sort of, you know, undercurrent that people believe that he has something there. And after this, he only has one year left on his contract. If they think that he can, you know, uh, you know, keep a team afloat or, you know, he's like, you know, captain material, according to some, maybe that's what they want to do. Or maybe that's just wishful thinking on my end, because, of course, the next team up is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Cam, what do you think they have to be thankful for? Just what we were talking about, the Columbus Blue Jackets, probably of every team in the league, have the biggest group of horrible contracts. And the fact that there's an expansion draft coming up, they can leave somebody exposed with an ugly cap hit. I don't know, maybe it's David Savard, that contract made no sense. Maybe it's Jack Johnson, maybe it's, I don't know, Scott Hartnell, Brandon Dubinsky. There's a lot of them on this list. Um, And they're going to get more than likely out from under a bad contract, which is a great thing for them, and they should be thankful for that. Jeff? Um, we've talked a lot about Wierenski. Obviously, he's been the big name that uh, that everyone in the national, I guess, multinational media has been talking about. Huge rookie story. But how about Alex Wen- uh, Wenberg? He's been something else this year. I mean, 40 points last year wasn't exactly a huge surprise to see him uh, produce. But I don't think anyone expected him to be near a point a game with nearly an assist a game. He's just been an incredible playmaker for that team. And at 22 years old, there's still a little bit of room for him to get better, too. He really has been awesome to watch grow. Uh, Overall, people, last year, there was a period of time where John Tortorella was upset that he wouldn't shoot the puck. He had something like, you know, uh, over under like 60 minutes, he was around two shots per hour. It was something absurd, like really, really low on par with a lot of the fourth liners um, in the league and that he just wouldn't shoot the puck. He'd more uh, look for the pass. But, you know, what's been ended up happening is this year he's starting to shoot the puck more, get things just right uh, rebounding off the goalie. You're about to say, Cam? I thought John Tortorella said something about players taking lots of shots, not having as much value as we think they have. Am I wrong about that? I thought I thought that I thought that John Tortorella was an, was a, was a a shot attempt truther, and he believed that players would just take shots from random angles this, and like all is, over the ice just to boost their advanced stats. No, this is the biggest misconception in the entire like lot of national media is that at the beginning of the year, right in like the end of September, he said that he wants his teams to get about sixty sixty five shot attempts a game because he thinks that it's advantageous for him. And then, of course, what ends up happening is uh, the beat reporter here in uh, Columbus, Aaron Portsline, said, what do you think of things like Corsi and Fenwick? And he goes, although I think those things are blah, 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 and I think that you know you can uh, you know do different things, when in reality, he's talking about the exact same thing. You say shot attempts to him, and he's, he knows, he's like, oh, yeah, that's completely fine. But there's, he doesn't get the nomenclature of Corsi and Fenwick, which seems idiotic to like, you know, some people who have been around and, like, uh, get have gotten that but that's just how like he's just set in his ways and it's the same way with uh, the broadcast team here in Columbus too is that they go you know uh, you know I really don't like to talk about that Corsi and Fenwick stuff and then a lot of the time what they'll end up doing is they'll show shot attempts and they'll talk about the different shot attempts numbers uh, against the uh, the other team and it's, but so there's obviously some sort of disconnect in the ki- communication because they obviously talk about it, and then they talk about scoring chances a bunch too. So it's like they they get it, but they don't want to get it 
in the way that analytics people want to get it. It's the it's the goofiest thing, and it's something that I find interesting because, of course, when people are when people see something like somebody like John Tortorella saying, "Yeah, uh, Corsi and Fenwick is uh, dumb as hell," then people are going to like point at it and be like, "Haha, he hasn't changed at all." When like you know a couple weeks before that, he's saying, "Yeah, we we're trying to get like 60, 65 shot attempts at even strength." It's like, uh, they're we're talking about the same thing here, John. So I think that's one of the, the more interesting things this year as well is I don't think John Torrell is a good coach at all, but I think there's a lot of times when the national media just wants to pick and choose when they, you know, are like, you know, what? this guy's trash because he's just an easy punching bag. And I think that's, that's fun. And I think that I don't really care. I'm, you know, not his biggest supporter, but just sitting here and ha- kind of being, having an objective eye to it has been interesting to see him as a coach. But anyway, Cam, you can move on to the next Western Conference team. Before we move on, though, just to finish up on uh, on Wenberg, probably my favorite goal in the NHL this year was uh, was the OT winner by Wierenski in uh, the game against Anaheim, where Wenberg basically goes back, starts out his zone entry or his zone exit, spins back around, realizing he doesn't have it, goes end to end and gives uh, Wierenski the no look pass. That was, If there's anything to be thankful for in Columbus, it's that goal. That was like, to me, that's one of the highlights of the season league wide. Yeah, that goal was bonkers. Even more so than the ten nothing game or the ten to one game, I feel like that was just the. Uh, I what mean, that 10 was ten nothing. It was ten nothing. Sir, right? sir, was, it was ten to nothing. It was ten nothing. Yeah. Okay. I that think that was one team days. at like its temporary deathbed, though. So. <laughs> that was a. That was Sam. That's got to be the best moment in Blue Jackets history, right? Um, that game. I would say probably the first playoff win was. Right. Okay. <laughs> fair enough, there, fair there's, there's there's not a lot to cheer for Blue Jackets wise. There's um, like six things. Yeah, there, that's very very true. There's about six things in which like Blue Jackets fans have to be thankful for. That's definitely the 10-0 game's got to be somewhere up there like, as well. All right. So on to Colorado we go. Uh, <laughs> kind of keeping in the same in the same vein of um, when we were talking about John Tortorella is that the thing that Colorado Avalanche fans should be happy for is that Patrick Waugh is no longer in the picture. Because though, as Sam pointed out to me, something I had no clue about because I don't, you know, pay attention much to the Blue Jackets, that is that um, Patrick Waugh, if there was anybody who was anti-advanced stats, not just against the use of those like funny names that we use, but like literally was the truther that said like all players are just shooting from like weird angles. And now this has actually caught some steam recently. Uh, <laughs> fans should be thankful that he's not in the picture anymore and the team's moving in a different direction. I mean, the team sucked this year. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but... So long as they don't have Patrick Waugh involved in making roster decisions or in-game decisions, that's probably going to look good for them down the road. Jeff? If um, if if we want to talk about a Patrick that's been good for them um, and is uh, and is helping the team right now, uh, I think they should be thankful that the Sens wanted to move on from Patrick Weirkoch for... Uh, for 800k, they're getting a heck of a player there. He's been uh, he's been one of their best defensemen this season. He's producing a decent amount of points. His his underlying numbers have been as good as they've ever been. Uh, I guess I guess that's one case where you can take it adva- take advantage of someone's bad situation. And there's no way that would have happened with Wall there. There's not a chance in hell they would have gone after a player like that. And it's uh, and they're reaping the benefits of that. I think that the Avalanche should be thankful for uh, Jared Bednar. He was the head coach of the Lake Erie Monsters. Obviously, as an affiliate of the Blue Jackets, I was able to watch him a whole lot. And he really is a player's coach. When he knows that he has a good player, 
uh, in his midst, he will almost run plays for them. Uh, last year, when they were making their Calder Cup run, they fed the puck to Wierenski all the time. And if they didn't have, if Wierenski didn't have the puck on his stick, then it's going to be either Milano or it's going to be Bjorkstrand. And they knew that where their you know bread was buttered. They knew that these players had to be good to allow them to win. And I think this year you've been seeing it a whole lot with Bednar. You know putting Tyson Berry in situations where he can actually succeed. And I think actually, you know, putting your good players in, in places where they can win is should be easy enough. But sometimes when a coaches overthink, uh, you know, certain positions, they can make themselves look like idiots. And I think at times that's what Patrick Waugh did. And he was fine writing the numbers for a while. But I feel like with someone like Jared Bednar, he's someone who will – uh, you know, allow them to flourish. That's just my opinion, though. Who knows? Uh, moving over to the Eastern Conference again, let's talk about the Detroit Red Wings. I uh, unsure what they should be thankful for this uh, uh, this time of year. They have a new arena next year. That's uh, that's a thing to be thankful for. Exactly, uh, the dojo, uh, Little Caesars Arena. Uh, Cam, <laughs> Cam, what do you what do you think? What do you think the Red Wings should be thankful for? I don't know. I, to be honest, this is, I mean, I feel like I've copped out so many times by saying this, but there's not much for them. <coughs> there's not much, sorry, <coughs> for them to be looking, for them to be feeling too great about. I mean, they had a pretty, they had a low key, really ugly off season. I mean, we jump all over um, the Islanders for signing, say, Andrew Ladd, and that was a horrible contract. But I mean, this Franz Nielsen contract doesn't look very good either. The Danny DeKaiser extensions, quite poor. Uh, the, the, the Wings are a team that you don't really throw into that cap hell conversation, but they they really are they are they really are one of those teams kind of looking like the L.A. Kings here with a bunch of big contracts and players that are old and not that good. I don't know if that's a reason to be thankful. I, I mean, no, it isn't at all. But I guess that's all I have to say about the Red Wings right now. I said it. I said it during the off season. I think that the Red Wings were like the only team in that whole Stamkos fallout that actually panicked and got worse because of it uh obviously they made the uh they made the datsuk dump trade to uh to basically throw them out of drafting chikrin uh which didn't help things and instead of using that money towards you know just kind of holding out and saying okay well we didn't get the uh the golden ship let's let's work towards a rebuild they they attached themselves to some not so nice contracts i mean at least the sabers kind of moved on and and did their own thing the leafs mostly just stood pat team other teams that were in that kind of um didn't go and just go all out and make rash decisions to try to make things happen but they whiffed on that uh super hard i guess if there is a player they could be thankful for uh mike green's playing good hockey again that's kind of cool to see and i guess that if they do decide to rebuild he could be uh he could be a piece that they can flip he's uh he's on a 40 something point pace his uh, his underlying numbers are good he's it, it's nice to see him uh back at a level that we're that we were used to seeing him in washington that's for sure mike green's playing with danny de kaiser and doing this and danny de kaiser is yeah not, <laughs> not good and somebody and, somebody tweeted out the i think it was I, I can't remember who it was but they tweeted out all of um uh green's situational numbers compared when when him and de kaiser together they're like hovering around like 45 and then when green's apart he's at like a like a 55 Corsi. And then when he's when DeKaiser's by himself, not with Green, he's at like a thirty-seven course here or something. It's just hideous numbers. I'm pretty sure that was yeah. Prashanth Iyer from uh, Winging It in Motown who did that. But yeah, what were you about to I, say, uh, Jeff? 
I just lo- I just loaded up now because I happen to have hockey analysis open. Uh, it's fifty two percent for green without DeKaiser and thirty four percent for DeKaiser without green. That's amazing. That's like twenty fourteen Sabers. Unbelievable swing. I, I, uh, similarly on the Mike Green train, and I don't know how thankful they should be, but they should be thankful for Dylan Larkin. And I think they should be thankful for some of the young players they have there, because if they do decide to do a rebuild, which Mm, they're not going to. Uh, I think they do have some players that they could, you know, start to have some, you know, good value. They could fill in on a second or first line role. Not necessarily succeed particularly well, but, you know, they have some stuff there. Not a lot by any stretch. Some. And I think if they figure it out, they could, you know, make a quicker turnaround than most would think. But. I don't think that's going to happen. So I think they should be thankful for their young players for now. But mm, I don't know for how much longer. Because I think what's going to end up happening, and it'll be the easiest thing in the world, is one of those younger players is going to get picked off in the expansion draft. And they're going to you know scratch their head and be like, I don't understand why this happened. When we also had like Justin Ab- Abdelkader exposed. Why didn't they just take him? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be the easiest thing in the world? That seems like the number one Red Wings move. No, nothing from you guys. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm thinking ahead to my next team, which is the Dallas Stars, which we can move on to here. And I'm, I'm, I, I love this pattern they have where they make the playoffs, score a whole bunch of goals, they can compensate for the terrible goaltending. The next year they miss because they don't score as many goals, and the next year they make it. And then this year, I think they're going to miss. Uh, but they can be thankful that next season, no matter what happens, they'll make the playoffs again because of this pattern. That's what they can be thankful for. They can probably also be. Um, they can also be probably be thankful for once. Uh, once they kind of give up on this year's dream, uh, if Patrick Eves keeps this up, he'll be a really easy trade piece. Yes. Like I, this is it, it's insane. He's already halfway to his career high in points, and he's 32 years old. Uh, now, obviously, uh, his percentages are a little out of whack. He's playing with much higher quality players than, than he's used to, but that's that. That might be a guy that uh, that a team looks to for some extra depth come playoff time. And yeah, that's someone I would definitely sell if they're still in this situation come late January, early February. Yeah. The Stars should be thankful for next year, in my opinion, uh, so they can finally get themselves away from some of the goaltending that they've been getting. They actually haven't been that bad this year. They've had it worse in the years past. Eh. But I think that they. Carly Lettman's been real bad this year. He's been really. Goal saved about average negative 10. He's been really good. It is 1986, right? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, when you put this in comparison, like, you know, relative to what they have been in the past, it could be, like, so much worse than what we have seen from them. And it's kind of like the same thing as Carolina Hurricanes, is I think that they could be so much better if they had something completely different back there, and they're just really messing it up. So I think once they can finally get themselves out from under that, they'll actually have something, you know, to put together there. Uh, now there's a team that is a little bit more cheery, you know, it doesn't have to be so, you know, bad overall, the Florida Panthers. Uh, what do you guys think they have to be thankful for Jeff? Um, trusting the nerds. I don't know. They've, uh, they, 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 they're still not performing to the level that they, uh, that they hoped that they would. Um, I think a lot of people had them as a competitor this year. I certainly actually had them as, uh, 
as, as my early cup pick. I don't know if I'm willing to to shift away from that yet with the way that some of the guys have been playing. Jonathan Marchessault has been incredible. Uh, Roberto Luongo looks like he's never, ever, ever going to age. Um, <laughs> Michael Matheson has been good on the point. They, there's there's some good players there. The record isn't really isn't really confirming that. Um, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that that allows for them to kind of uh, sneak under the radar of some teams. But uh, but yeah, they're still, they, they still have some room to climb. But there's a lot of upside on that team. There's a huge prospect pool behind them. They're, uh, they're going to be one of the forces of the East for a while. And I think looking ahead and realizing that even in your low point, you're still not that far behind. Uh, you, you can definitely be thankful about that. Yeah, the Panthers. The Panthers are definitely. Yeah, I think you're right. They haven't looked all that great, but that's kind of like the analytics model isn't really a, a like a, a thing to analyze in the short term. You're playing the long game with a team like this, and I mean, you look up and down their roster, and it's like a lot of positive Corsi players with shooting percentages like five point six, one point nine, four point three, nine point five, like significantly below career averages, and it's like it's a pretty easy team to bank on. Just like they're like the epitome of a team who's like, yeah, they're gonna figure it out. Every year there's a team like this, and it it, it almost always works out. So it's just, I don't know. We'll come back and look again at the Panthers in February, and I'm sure they'll be in second or first place in that division, and everything will be great. You know, they aren't playing in the Corsi Hockey League. I'm not. I'm not sure if you knew that. That you know, that this isn't uh, just all about Corsi. I've never actually. Yeah, I've, I've never actually watched the game, so I have no clue what that. Oh, one's hey, on. the title of the podcast. I like it. No, I think the Panthers have a lot to be thankful for. Every, the way that they've built this team is pretty much, you know, as ideal as you can get from an analytics standpoint. The way that they have themselves set up uh, with some, you know, spending money. They have some short-term players that, you know, that they can fill in with, and it's not going to, you know, jeopardize them with the money they're spending. It's it's good. I I like what they're doing down there. They've been, you know, ravaged by injuries early in the season, and they're st- they've still kept afloat. I. A lot of people have been wanting to question, you know, not necessarily the front office itself, but the way that they've gone about, you know, putting it together. And I, I, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. I like what they're doing down there, and I think for a fact that the Panthers are going to be in the playoffs this year. And I think it'll uh, definitely open up some eyes, especially if uh, uh, from the more old school minds out there. Cam, next one. Oh yeah, the next one. This is an easy one. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers. Let's be honest here. Like, if there's one player. This team can be thankful for, and I'm, I'm sure you guys will agree with me. Everybody agrees that this is the one guy. It's Chris Russell. For sure. The guy's got a 73.3 goals for percentage, and it's completely realistic. He's the reason the team's shooting like 20% when he's on the ice. It has nothing to do with that, like, you know, superstar forward that he, I don't know, some other random guy. I don't know who it is, but they have they have a great defenseman in Chris Russell who's completely disproved analytics this year. And, There's... I mean, um direct correlation between blocking shots and being great and uh he's 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 just killing it actually he's not been overly terrible just you know no, super lucky yeah no definitely he's uh his uh his, his possession numbers are like uh slightly around where you think they'd be even strength he's a 46.3 course for but i mean his shooting and save percentage on ice are just like off the charts i mean to be completely fair like uh, we make fun of chris russell a lot but in a in a I mean, I think Sam can agree with this, too, when he played with the Blue Jackets. When you put him in a bottom pairing, uh, number four or five defenseman really is actually quite solid. It's just when teams think, or fans think, this guy can be, you know, on a top pair, play 25 minutes. No, because he's not going to produce any offense at all. Yeah, at, if, I mean, 
even even his first year in Calgary, he was pretty good too. And I mean, like when the Oilers made this signing, uh, everyone was quick to jump down their throats. But it's a one year deal, and it's something where they can slide him around the lineup where, where they want to. The issue is when you sign Chris Russell for five years and you're in year <laughs> three, and you're like, oh shit, what the hell did we do? Um, but you but you can kind of take that risk now when you have the cap space and you have the roster flexibility, and also you're the Oilers. There's not really a lot of defense to work with to begin with. So like, what else are you gonna do? Um, so that kind of makes sense for them um beyond that yeah obviously you have to be thankful for connor um he's uh him and him and sid are running neck and neck for top player in the world i have connor at one but i understand why people wouldn't um now that he's now that he snapped his goal drought he's uh he's got everybody back on his side again very real chance he wins the art russ uh the, his, his possession numbers are great. Pretty much everything about him is great. Um, the most entertaining player in the game. And uh, 2,043 days until July 1st, 2022. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the thing about Chris Russell that a lot of people get wrong, at least from a visual standpoint, is when he's like a water bug and he's just skating around on the ice and he's, you know, making plays and he's doing that. He's That's when he's at his best. He's not necessarily that player anymore. He slowed down a little bit. But now he, you know, trying to block shots, doing things like that, trying to, you know, take the body a little bit more. It's kind of like that's not really his game. And I think the problem is is people aren't utilizing him in the proper way. But when they see, you know, a guy who's on the, on the smaller side and he's doing these things, they think to themselves, wow, he's the kind of player that the analytics community has to love because he does all these things and it's fantastic and he puts up some points every once in a while. But in reality, I feel like he's just playing outside of what his comfort, uh, comfortability level is. I mean, for a while he's been blocking shots, so it's not necessarily the end of the world. But, you know, I, I don't think that's who he is and that's why his, you know, numbers have changed as drastically as they have because he's not necessarily the player that he once was, at least uh, tactically. And, of course, what Jeff said, McDavid is absolute stud. You you have to be thankful for him. And it's anytime I have an opportunity to watch some West Coast hockey, it's only, it's like ninety five percent of the time Connor McDavid is the person that I'm going to be watching. Because why why would you want to watch anyone else? I mean, Anze Kopitar is fine and everything, but he's he's no Connor McDavid. I, uh, I I say to a lot of people, I watch uh, I watch twenty nine NHL teams for work, and I watch uh, Connor McDavid to restore my faith in humanity. No, he's he's definitely one of those people. You know, watching as a hockey fan, just as a fan, nothing else. He's just enjoyable. A lot of times, you can watch a game, and there'll be a couple players that you know are good, and they they can take over a game from time to time. But Connor McDavid, when he's on the ice, is the absolute best. It's so it's funny. Close. It's so it's so funny when he's uh, skating fast and he's like in tight with the defenseman, and they and you just watch them and you see it in slow motion and you watch the thought process go through their head of wanting to do just like a pivot from backwards to forward skating, and they just look like so awkward doing it, and they're just giving up, and it's just hilarious to watch them just fly by like that. Yeah, and then you realize that he's only skating at like two thirds speed, and he could have blown by them three or four seconds ago if he wanted to, and that makes it even better. And then Milan Lucic is at the center line, and McDavid's spinning around behind the net, waiting for him to catch up. He's he's a marvel. He's a modern marvel. Uh, now we get to switch. How do you? This is the worst thing in the world. We get to switch from Connor McDavid talk in Edmonton, and then now we have to go to the New Jersey Devils. That's that's not necessarily fair. Uh, the New Jersey Devils have to be thankful for Corey Schneider. Can we can we all agree on that? We can move on after uh, from the Devils if we all agree on that across the board. He's I no, think... he's he's obscene. He's he he's the only person who even remotely gives um, 
a player from another team we're about to hit soon, a run for their money is best goalie in the world. Um, I mean, I got we got to see it in person. Uh, I got to see a lot of it the other night uh, with uh, his game against the Leafs, even going to the iPad just before the shootout just to make sure he had everybody's tendencies nailed down. He thinks the game, he's talented. There's He's just unreal. I, I think you guys are missing one thing about the New Jersey Devils, and they should be thankful for Peter Chiarelli. Uh, showing up and saying, hey, look, like you can have Taylor Hall, but give us your second-pairing defenseman. I mean, I, I, I actually quite like Adam Larson. I like his game, but the one-for-one one for Taylor Hall was silly. And uh, the, the double should be thankful that Edmonton was so desperate and they had to make that deal. And uh, be thankful to the um, be thankful to the Islanders too for giving up on PA Parento like immediately, uh, getting getting a steal contract on a on a heck of a player that you didn't even have to sign. Um, that's that, that's just money in the bank. Cam? That's also probably if they if the uh, if the Devils are out of contention, which I mean, if when Hall gets back and he keeps playing well, there's a good chance they could fight for a playoff spot. I mean, if, if they're out of contention, that's like a free second, maybe late first round draft pick, P.A. Parento. It's like you sign a guy like that or Lee Stempniak and you're guaranteeing yourself like a top 60 pick in one of the next two drafts. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, Cam, you got the Western Conference team? Uh, I think we're on L.A. now. I've kind of lost myself. <laughs> I don't really know. I, I, I'm, I'm just out of it at this point. But yeah, the, the Kings have, I don't know. A decent amount to be thankful for the fact they've won two Stanley Cups in the past five years. Uh, they, as an Oilers fan, like I don't, I don't know, like they, the Oilers have made the playoffs like twice in my life, so I can't relate to what it would be like to have a team with that recent level of success. I mean, Kings fans can go put on a DVD and watch Kings 2012 Stanley Cup run and not feel weird about it. Like when I watch, you know, a 2006 playoff run and tear up a bit, and I'm like, holy shit, that happened over a decade ago and it makes me feel sad at least they can bask in things that happened somewhat recently which is nice um they can also be thankful for peter budai uh stepping up and even like he's he's just barely above league average but like after you lose so many of your goalies at pretty much every level of the organization uh for him to come in play at play at a 916 over 19 games uh that's that's something you got to take um i mean he was really really good in the ahl last year he was arguably the best goalie in that league but if you look at his his prior career in the nhl this isn't something that's that's normal for him he's always been that kind of slightly below average backup that you sign because he's his cap hit is like ten dollars um so for for him to give them even a fighting chance of winning some games and actually winning more uh a considerable amount more than he then he's losing. Um, they they need to be thankful for him because without him, they're not staying in the picture right now. No doubt, no doubt. I think that one person they could have been thankful for, and then now I'm not so sure if they should is Dean Lombardi. I thought for a period of time that he was, you know, one of the smarter minds in the league, and I kind of think the more that you know he's the GM there, that he kind of just like happened up upon a lot of these people. It's it's un- it's unbelievable. I I don't know exactly where uh, like they're gonna go from here because they have some contracts that I think are a little bit iffy, but I think that Dean Lombardi I don't necessarily know if they should be thankful for him, but they should be thankful for the team that's put on the ice right now because they're still they're still pretty good even though they're not you know dominating the Pacific Division it um it's very very interesting to see where they go from here now Cam just notified me that. I skipped over Montreal, and he thinks that this is like you know some sort of accident. But I don't, I don't really want to talk about him. Is that, is that okay with you guys? I, I'm just yeah. messing. I'm, I'm just messing. Cam, what do you think the Montreal Canadiens should be thankful for? Uh, 
definitely Shea Weber, just like Chris Russell at Edmonton. He's the reason the teams, again, got like a 99 save percentage. And, yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> Shea Weber, no, but it's obviously Carey Price. I mean, the team plays differently when he's playing. There's a certain level of confidence you have when there's a goalie that's good behind you. You can take more risks in your game knowing that they're going to bail you out. And I mean, Carey Price is... There's, I mean, we talk about... Uh, uh, McDavid and Crosby as the best player in the league and honestly you probably should also consider Price in that conversation too. He's so good, changes the team. They were terrible last year and now they look phenomenal, I think largely because of him. Yeah, I have uh, I was a Price skeptic for a long time because he would have a good year, then he'd taper off for a bit and he'd always get injured in like the weirdest times, but man, when he's good he's just, he's on another level. Like right now, if this pace keeps up we're talking about a guy who's gonna have like the best season for a goalie ever now will that last who knows honestly at the after watching that little bit of last year and that full season he had the year before it's possible he's he's like a step ahead of every other goaltender in the league right now and it's unfair but if they need to be thankful for anybody else i'm gonna also throw alex radulov's name into the mix uh to get him as a completely free asset and have him immediately contribute on that on that top line is it's worked out really well for them. I've I've said it a few times. Uh, you look at a guy like him, and you remember his prior history in Nashville, how he left the team uh, before his his last deal. He came back, and he got into that whole uh, staying out too late to party in the playoffs thing. And everyone kind of gave up on him as a as a human being, not even as a hockey player, just as a human being. But. Uh, but after that, I think something clicked in with him. Maybe it's the fact that he settled down, started building his family. Uh, maybe it was switching uh, KHL teams over to CSK Moscow. Um, and and since coming back, he's not he's carried over being from being the best player in that league to being one of the top wingers in the entire NHL. And he's his work ethic is there now. He's working with his coaches. He's engaging with his teammates he wants to be a part of that organization a part of the league he's just there's a total buy-in and it's been incredible to see because he's always had the talent and it's nice to see him realize it now for sure and i think that they all should be should be thankful for al montoya we talked about the 10-0 game but he took that bullet for them pretty you know with he didn't complain much he could have you know pulled patrick wah you know gotten a trade there but i i think overall that the canadians have to be uh, one of the more fun teams to watch just because of all of the storylines. Obviously, Shea Weber, uh, Radulov, Price. There's so many things going on. And I think, uh, you know, also being in one of the, uh, you know, one of these Canadian markets, it's, you know, just all the pressure in the world and all eyes on them all the time. And it's making, I think, the league overall a bit more exciting and not necessarily from an uh, individual player standpoint, but from a team standpoint, just to see how the heck they're going to uh, make this thing work. Uh, Cam, get the next one. Uh, we're on to the Minnesota Wild now. And Jesus, if there's a team where it's just hard, hard to come up with something. Not not not, not that they're bad like the other teams where I've been copping out, but Minnesota, just like a boring, random team. Uh, I guess they should be thankful that Eric Stahl's bounced back and had like a like a quite good season at $3.5 million per year. That was a... That was a damn good signing, low-key. I mean, people talked about Eric Stahl all year as being the inevitable 2016 horrible contract. Someone's going to give him, you know, six years, nine million for some reason. He ended up signing 3.5 per for three years, and he's their leading scorer, and he's looked great. His possession numbers in Carolina consistently over the past few years were fantastic. That team just doesn't score because there's not much skill. And he's been <laughs> he's been a great signing. And if, I don't know, I don't know, they're not that great right now. And if they didn't, if they didn't have Eric Stahl around, I don't really know where they would be. 
I think uh, I think they can also be thankful too for uh, like I, I jokingly uh, suggested the the Ducks should be thankful for Carlisle, but I think they should. I think the Wild should be happy that they were able to get Boudreaux out of that uh, that whole situation too. Like obviously the team hasn't fully performed to their potential yet, but that's that's a coach that we've seen some quality from in the past, and it wouldn't be a shock to see him bring that team to to, to some sort of respectability uh, in the future. And I mean, we say that as them still being in a playoff spot. They're still third in the Central Division. I guess they're just kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Um, I'm sure we'd like to see more out of them, but maybe he's the guy who does it. This is controversial take time, but I think that the Minnesota Wild should be thankful for having one of the best jerseys in the entire game. Is is that a looks controversial like a, take? Like, yeah, the, it's better than their old ones. The old ones look like a can of like Mountain Dew. But I mean, I don't know. I I'm not. I'm really not a fan of their logo or their jerseys. I think it just looks. Uh, it, it's weird. I don't really understand like what's going on with them. Jeff, what do you think? I, I don't know. I I like the logo. It, it is. It's definitely weird. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with Cam. I think the quote unquote Mountain Dew jerseys are what they should go back to. I liked uh, having that pure straight up green with the with the logo. Um, I'm almost a little bored of them doing the whole faux back thing with the with the red one with the circular logo and the and the green with that kind of baseball-y kind of design. It's still nice. Like, don't get me wrong, they have nice uniforms, but they had something really unique for a while, and it was it, it was not quite vintage, not quite futuristic. It kind of towed the line, and I thought they had a perfect thing going for a bit. So they're good now. They could be great. And we'll see, we'll see what they do uh, within in the future. I, I know if the Adidas switch next year, uh, some teams will get a little creative with it, and maybe they're one of those ones. Hockey teams hate being unique. It doesn't matter if it's player selection or you know the uniforms on the ice. They just hate it. It's it's the worst. Now uh, let's talk a little bit about the New York Islanders. What do you guys think about them? Uh, they should be thankful that John Tavares is the most loyal person alive, and he will probably stick around. Because I don't know if I would. They're uh, they're a bit of a mess right now. Um, obviously, Capuano has not done enough for us to believe that he's really contributing to that team doing much of anything. Uh, that Andrew Ladd contract looks uh, it looks like it's a contract. Um, that's really about as much as you can say for it. So, yeah, I'd be thankful that Tavares is great and that he will probably sign any ear extension in July. And if he doesn't, I maybe start getting worried a little. Yeah, I, I hope that you're right for the sake of the New York Islanders. Uh, if John Tavares leaves, which, I mean, if I were him, like, I mean, I, I look at the team that they built. I mean, they let Kyle Ocpozo, the best winger he's had throughout his entire time with this franchise in the NHL, um, they let him walk and then signed Andrew Ladd, four years older, infinitely less productive to the same contract. And that just doesn't make any sense. Unless, you know, I, I, there could be something I'm missing here, and Ocposo just didn't want to be around, but that's just that's just weird. This team yeah, well, doesn't look good. Yeah, well, that's just it. Like, I wasn't I wasn't totally against them walking away from Ocposo. I think he's a good player. I don't know if he's a guy I commit seven years to, but you definitely committed seven years in the yeah. same money to somebody who is worse and older, and that's where the problem is. Eventually, you need to... You need, sometimes you have to say, okay, well, this money is freed up, Let's just leave it and wait for something good. You don't have to immediately spend it. Like talking about Detroit earlier, how, yeah, they had the the Stamkos money that kind of just sat there. Um, it could have just sat there. They didn't have to go and sign Franz Nielsen, Steve Ott, Thomas Vanek, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to fill it. Sometimes you can say, hey, maybe this isn't the year. Let's wait a bit. Because right now, Lad's not doing them any good. Um, 
and they could have probably been in this position in the standings with or without him, but instead now they have a paperweight of a contract uh, <laughs> sitting there uh, at la- pretty much dead last in team scoring. They were like it was like three or four weeks in, and Newsday had that article about him saying, you know, what should we do with uh, Andrew Ladd? And I, th- I thought to myself, wow, I cannot believe that they actually did this. It's the one. Of, it's going to be go down as one of the, like the worst investments in the past few years. Obviously, the Blue Jackets have David Clarkson, and the Leafs have Nathan Horton. So you know they take the uh, you know the the the, the uh, crown there for that. But I. The lad deals. I don't understand how it's looking so bad so quickly. When last year, he know he didn't look terrible, but now you're also starting to realize that Mark Shifley, you know, may have been getting dragged down by him. It's there's something to be said about that. Uh, Cam, you get the next uh, team because I know you got to go, and so we probably should do a little bit of a, a hurry up offense here. <laughs> yeah, no, we're on to Nashville now. And I mentioned Shea Weber, but obviously they should be thankful that, you know, P.K. Subban, of course, that's just like a that's like a perfect fit for their franchise. I think that it's just like, I guess it didn't work out in Montreal. I don't know if I can speak generally. It didn't work out for the organization. Maybe that's an organizational flaw. I mean, the fans like P.K. Subban there, but I think the fans in Nashville might appreciate him a little bit more than the ones in Montreal did. And I think that's good for the franchise in a somewhat non-traditional hockey market to have a player and a personality like that around. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, he's he, it's also a good hockey trade. I think in the long run, they're getting they they're getting the better player over the length of that term. Uh, but obviously, he's a massive boon to them from a marketing perspective, uh, from a perspective of uniting the fan base and giving them um, giving them an identity that was more than oh well, what else are you going to watch? Uh, now now there's an incentive beyond beyond that. He he adds some excitement to the entire city. Uh, he's he would be an injection to pretty much any fan base in the league. I, to me, I, I would have him be the face of hockey um, for that very reason. And it's really nice to see him there, and it's nice to see him happy there. Um, beyond that, there's not really a ton. They've kind of uh, under underperformed this year. I guess you can uh, I guess you can be thankful that Pecorino is having a season again. If we were talking about Price being an up and down goalie, Rene is definitely the definition of an up and down goalie. He he will gain you a bunch of points one season he will lose you a bunch of points the next last year he was below league average over 66 games now he's looking like a uh, other than carry price vesna candidate um so if that holds and the team bounces back that looks good for them if not then i don't know maybe they really hope vegas picks him in the expansion draft who knows they're one of the more perplexing teams in the league because you'd think just on paper looking at them that they would be one of the absolute best and it's troublesome that that they're you know underperforming right now they have some really great players i i hope they can turn it around not only from you know a fan perspective but from a league perspective as well just because i think if you put them in the playoffs the way that they can score the way that their goaltending is it'll be a whole lot of fun i i literally like uh where the predators are heading overall even despite what's happening there now let's move on to the New York Rangers. Uh, obviously, they're going to be thankful for one person and one person only, Henrik Lundqvist. Are there any other dissenting opinions about the Rangers? Well, shooting um, percentage. Yeah, well, there, there's obviously a bit of that. Um, I don't even know if I would fully go in on the thankful for Lundqvist uh, bandwagon for this season specifically. Um, he hasn't been out, he hasn't been lights out for them. He's been good, but not fully lights out obviously if you want to make this a 10-year thanksgiving then yeah you can basically give them to him every other year but um i think they should be thankful that they have one of the uh, the better fourth lines in the league i know this has been a uh, 
uh, a common argument amongst a lot of fan bases of, oh, why does the fourth line matter? Um, now, granted, New York's fourth line is shooting, like Cam said, at like bonkers levels, just like the rest of the team. But having three guys, and I guess in their case, it'd be Michael Grabner, um, Brandon Peary, and Jesper Fast uh, are, they, are their trio, who can actually not just eat up that time, but actually dominate teams when they're, when they're on the ice and pick up points. That's a big difference. You can say a fourth line plays only 10 minutes a night, but that's 10 out of 60. That's not insignificant. And I'm sure they're happy that those three are, are tilting the ice for them uh, in that time. Yeah, I'm thank I I I'm gonna flip it around a bit, and we're talking about what teams should be thankful for. But I myself am thankful for the New York Rangers. Never at any point in my life of watching hockey have I given a damn about the New York Rangers as a franchise. I've, I've never cheered for them, never cared, never found them particularly interesting. But this year, the fact that they're running with the four score four scoring lines, I think, is just like such a such a positive thing for hockey. I think so many teams need to move towards doing this, where like Jeff said. You have a fourth line that not only just breaks even, but does something. They accomplish something. It's so infrequent that we have a fourth or a third line even that actually has a like a net positive value on the game, save for just like you know throwing hits and getting the fans excited. Like the fourth line is actually producing, and that's that's cool. Yeah, no, I think I think the the definition of the fourth line has been warped over the years. Like when you look at fourth lines from 20, 30 years ago, you had lower skill fourth lines because there wasn't that much elite skill in hockey at that point. When you look at the last few years, teams have lower skill fourth lines because they're tight to the salary cap and they can't really afford anything else and they don't really trust their kids. Uh, there's no excuse for that. If you have if you have the space you should be trying to build a competitive fourth line. It's as simple as that. You want to be the best team on the ice 60 minutes a game, not 50. And to see the Rangers do that and to see a couple of teams start to move towards that, that's a good sign for hockey. I think it, I think it means that we have entertaining games from beginning to end in the long run. And how can you be against that? Yeah, you, you really can't, especially with the way that they've built this team. And their defense is not great by any stretch. And they're somehow that. keeping it afloat. And I, when you actually take a look and you see that like Nick Holden is playing with Ryan McDonough at times, <laughs> you're, you're scratching your head because you're like, how the heck is this even working? But they're making it work. And that's what's interesting about Lane Vino is that for whatever reason, you think that he's going to not be able to succeed and he always surprises you. I, like, he's one of the more interesting coaches in the league from that perspective just because I want to be able to take more of a deep dive into what he does as a coach that makes his team so darn successful. Uh, Cam, you get the next one? Yeah, now we're all the way on to the San Jose Sharks, who I think some people might disagree with me, but I, I think they should be thankful they got Brent Burns locked up long term. I mean, that contract, nobody can disagree with the fact that's going to look like junk unless he, you know, is actually the like mountain man his aesthetic is and he's you know gonna be able to play in the league until he's 47 or something because he's just like physically dominant but i mean the fact of the matter is is they're old and good and this contract is about the next four years not the final four years and i'm guessing the san jose sharks are banking on the next lockout bringing us a bunch of compliance buyouts so they can get out from under that or they just don't care and they're like you know what let's roll for it right now we'll have a bad contract in a few years and we're rebuilding and who even gives a damn yeah, I think I think that's that's the thing with Burns is you have to look at it as they were going to lose their top defenseman and one of the defense, best defensemen in the league uh, if they didn't commit to him uh, long term. And they're a team that still has a few years left in their window. And once once it gets to the stage where that contract is junk, then yeah, they will either one have the lockout bail them out, uh, or two they'll be in a they'll be in a state where they're going to be rebuilding. They're going to be close to the cap floor most likely if they do it properly. Uh, and they'll need to have him 
around and maybe they have a guy that can that that can make him look really good and they can dump him on someone in the future like we saw that we saw toronto do that uh just last year with Dion Phaneuf. they put him next to jake gardner uh every, they sheltered that pair entirely for a while and they were able to flip him in a really awkward complicated deal with ottawa but they were able to get out of it. If you have a plan of how you're going to parachute away from a deal, then then there's not really much of a problem with it. It can look bad on the surface. Uh, it all just depends on if you're aware of the situation and how you want to deal with it moving forward. And I think that's something that the Sharks likely have some sort of plan for. Doug Wilson's done a good job over the years to, uh, to, to keep that team sustainably successful. Uh, We'll see how we'll see how long it, it it lasts, but right now I'm not overly concerned just because it's the Sharks that that made that decision. The I think the Sharks should be thankful for uh, Jimbo Joe. He's absolutely like the most underrated player of his generation. What's funny is I wrote an article for the Finn about him and saying how underappreciated he was, how great he was at what he was doing, and a lot of people uh, responded to me with, uh, "Yeah, no duh." And I go, then I thought to myself, you know what? This might be this might be the wrong audience to actually right talk about. Sharks yeah, <laughs> to writing sharks fans, letting them know how like you know how underrated he is. But obviously, you know, when you're writing it out there, you're hoping it goes to a bigger audience. But I thought that was really funny that like most of the responses were, uh, you think? <laughs> uh, but no, Jimbo Joe is one of the the best players of his generation, and I think at some point we're really gonna have to start appreciating how how well he's done as a player because he's going to be a sh- uh, you know surefire uh, first ballot hall of famer and i don't think people realize it just yet and i, I hope some people come start coming to that realization the worst thing that could have ever happened to thornton was the fact that the the crosby ovechkin malkin invasion happened right when he was really hitting his stride because otherwise we would definitely be talking about him not just as a first ballot but almost like like not quite a skip the waiting period but like he'd be somewhere in the middle um he's been he's been insane his entire career we're looking at a guy who will probably finish with upwards of 1500 points we're looking at a guy who does that while being one of the best uh, best defensive uh, forwards in the league. And that's something he never has gotten the proper appreciation for is how great his two-way game is. Uh, definitely one of the best playmakers in the history of the game. Uh, and he's still killing it at, at 37 years old. Obviously, he's not at the point-per-game pace that he was last year, but still a lot of season to play first off. And, and even without that, he's still driving play. He's still one of the better centers in the game which at the at this stage in his career is becoming increasingly rare uh by the year leaving boston was also a real uh you know i think tough move for him moving from boston to san jose like you're the media coverage on hockey is going to be just so completely different and also i think he's one of the best uh you know passers maybe ever not you know it's tough to really you know quantify that other than from assists but if you take a look at what he does now in the modern game and the way he's able to throw the needle i think there's definitely an argument to be made there cam sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i think um yeah no i i was gonna say that uh on the theme of thankfulness there's a lot of people in san jose who should be thankful for uh joe thornton such as jonathan chichu uh danny heatley got his career kind of kept going because of him um the other one devin sataguchi of course but I think you said that the move for him publicity-wise from Boston was it was bad, but I think that's a good thing because I can vividly remember when I was young, just starting to watch hockey, I remember Boston was in the playoffs, I think it was like 2002, and Joe Thornton took a slash, and then 
um, the other team went, went the other way and scored, and it was a big deal. Everyone was saying he was soft. It was like, this guy's, you know, a 6'5 mammoth, and he should just be a tank, and he should be, you know, killing everybody, but he's not. And, I mean, that, that narrative kind of went away when he got to disappear in San Jose, and since then, he's just consistently good seasons, and no one talks about it, and that's kind of a good thing, I think. I don't know. Like, the media spotlight's nice, but I'm not sure if it's actually as added it's actually advantageous for the way the players play speaking of generational players let's move on to the ottawa senators uh eric carlson is obviously my choice for who they should be thankful for um there's a couple players in the team that they should be thankful for because they have somehow kept this team afloat and it's just showing how good uh, some of their top end players actually are uh jeff what do you think the uh, senators should be thankful for um so here's a weird one. I think they should be thankful that Andrew Hammond cleared waivers because I'm not sure how long uh, Mike Condon's going to be a 940 goaltender. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, I, guess, I guess they played on the fact that like nobody was in a position to add a goalie right away, but that was a really curious decision and the fact that they're basically going to get away with it. Um, that They should be thankful for that because at some point this year they're going to need uh, to have someone behind Anderson that's going to be reliably stopping pucks. And I'm not sold that Hammond isn't still that guy. Um so, so yeah, I would definitely be thankful that uh, he's still an option for them in the system and that they didn't completely get burned by, by what will probably not be a great decision. Cam? Yeah, the Sens should be really, really, really thankful that there was a team out there willing to take on the contracts of Milan McCulloch and Colin Greening. <laughs> no, I'm totally joking. They, they took on Dion Phaneuf's <laughs> contract, and that is, that's bad. Uh, the only thing that's worth being thankful for in my mind on this team is Eric Carlson, but that ultimately leads to something that you shouldn't be thankful for, and which is the fact they're just wasting his damn career. And I mean, this player is so good, and he's only signed at a six point a six point five uh, million cap hit, and they and they're just they're just letting it piss away, and it's sad, but oh well. For the record, us in Toronto really enjoy our twelve million dollar AHL fourth line. Uh, so um, I don't I don't know if we're complaining uh, we're, we're complaining too much. It's actually been kind of fun to watch in that sen- the scenario, but that's besides the point, and they'll be gone next year anyway. So whatever. Cam, Western Conference. Western Conference. We're on to the St. Louis Blues, who should be thankful for. Just the fact that things will even out for them. They should be thankful. I mean, they've got, they're one of those teams, they're kind of like the LA Kings in that way, just always the solid possession numbers. The shooting percentage just isn't there right now. The goaltending hasn't been great. They should be thankful for the fact the season is 82 games long. And this isn't the NFL where, you know, 16 games. And things will balance out. And the Blues haven't been as good as you'd think they will be, but I'm, I'm sure they will be. And they have a lot of time left. And they, they should be thankful for that. And they should probably also be thankful that Vladimir Tarasenko is just still so fun to watch even when he's cold. Like, to call this cold, he's still over a point a game. Uh, But he's he's just always one of the most entertaining guys in the league and if you can have a guy there that'll keep uh, that'll keep the fans excited while you sort out whatever issues you might have, uh, you can't complain about that. Do you guys think that Tarasenko may be like the most underrated superstar in the league? I know we talked about you know Thornton, but he's like kind of almost kind of like an underrated all timer. I feel like right now, currently in the league, Tarasenko is fantastic, and not many people are talking about him in the same breath as you know a Crosby or McDavid. And I don't think he's at that level, but he, isn't he on that superstar level? Yeah, I think he's there. I think he's one of the best right wingers on the planet. And I mean, that's not a that's not a huge sample. There's not too many elite um, in, uh, players on each individual wing. Um, but he's he's on pace to have his 
third consecutive 35 goal season. Uh, he's been a stellar talent from pretty much the very start. Even if you look back at his numbers in the KHL before jumping over, he was always one of the best of all time in points per game for whatever his age may be. And he made almost, he made an almost immediate impact when he came here. I, I think they're definitely happy to have a player of his caliber uh, for as long as they're going to have him. He's still only 24 years old, still has a little bit of room left to grow or at least stay for a bit. Uh, and he doesn't get the conversation that he should. We He's someone that, I guess, on, on this coast only gets talked about when he scores a highlight real goal, so like once every couple weeks. Um, but even then, he, tur- he returns to an afterthought, and that's a shame. He's really one of the league's top players at this point and one of the most electrifying for sure. Now, a team that I think overall is tough to pinpoint is the Philadelphia Flyers. We're going to be moving on to next. I don't know who exactly that they should be thankful for. Um, I guess they should be thankful for playing in that market just because of how intense they can be, uh, at least as an American market. I love watching the Flyers each year trying to compete almost in... uh, almost like be chided by their fans to do better. And they always try to compete year in and year out. And I love what they're able to do. Uh, Who should the Flyers be thankful for? I have the same thing to say as I did about the Blues. I think the Flyers are quite a bit better than they're showing right now. I really don't think their goalies are this bad. Like, obviously, the defense doesn't make life easy on them. And these numbers, when you look at their goalies, Neuberth and Steve Mason are both the bottom of the league. Goals save above average, well into the negatives. They're, they're not that bad. The goal, again, like I said, the defense makes it hard on them. But I think this will balance out a little bit. I, I mean, there's no way they're going to finish the year with the collected 883 save percentage they have, I don't think. I think I think this should this should calm down a little bit. Yeah, I'll agree with that too. And it's also nice that they still have their their reliable star players uh, still putting uh, still still putting up numbers too. Like uh, I, I know I'm using the same thing. I basically set up the Blues as well. But when you when you have a team that's kind of sputtering a bit, uh, you still want the casual fan to have something to be excited about. And I mean, Simmons has 18 points in 21. Voracek has 17. Giroux has 17. These are the guys that. The, that, that the people in the crowds regularly come to see and for them to still be delivering uh, throughout this is uh, is something you definitely want to, to, to I guess not necessarily buy you time but at least keep the waters calm while you figure out the team's true identity for the year Cam, Western Conference team Western Conference team, I think unless unless I'm confused we're on to the Canucks now uh, oh, yeah. that's a, that is a tough one, uh, they should be thankful that uh, the Sedins are, I guess, capable, I mean, of dragging this, like, horrid roster through the mud to be at least somewhat, maybe win a few games here and there, I guess. I don't know. There's not much to be thankful with here. Um, there's, a, they're not, they're, they're not good, and they're not rebuilding. Their GM doesn't want to rebuild, which, I mean, we've talked about this many times in the past in the podcast. When we had JD on, he said, it's hard for them to go through a rebuild. The fans don't really want it, though they should. But it's nice that the Sedins, I guess, are still fantastic. That's a, that's a good thing for them. Every every day they that they don't do something crazy and dumb, I think, is something that uh, that that there's parts of the fan base that are thankful for at this point. Um, I I would be thankful that they're starting to see the light and they're starting to give Jake Vertanen some minor league time. I don't think he's ready. I don't think he was ready last year. And while I don't think he was the right pick where they picked him, I still think he's a quality prospect. And I think that if you you leave him in the AHL, give him some time to to be a um, a skilled forward, someone who goes in and produces points rather than just being your your two way kind of uh, 
slightly play driving but not really producing guy um, that might make a world of difference for him. Obviously, it hasn't really yet. He only has one assist in five AHL games, but that, that's that's still a guy who's twenty years old. Still a guy who has a lot of time to figure it out. As long as they give him the time to figure it out, they can't rush him back into this. You really don't want to destroy one of the few good prospects that you have and then beyond that yeah there's really not a ton to be thankful about i guess bull horvat is great and every canucks fan will tell you that and i guess the ben hutton signing the other day was pretty good too but even then that's a bridge i don't know if after a while you just start grasping its straws there's uh yeah not a ton (laughs) i think there's something to be said about the vertanen thing jeff i know this isn't in the thankful you know realm but I think there's something to be said about some players that go into the NHL too early, and there's still some tentative play to their game. They're able to find their like you know footing in the NHL. I think that there are worse things out there. I know Elliot Friedman brought it up that you know that it's somehow like supposed to be a disappointment, but how can it be a disappointment when these kind of players are you know still trying to come into their own and find their game, uh, you know, against men? I don't think there's you know there's anything wrong with that at all. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Um, to give a Toronto example, because we're the center of the universe and such, um, I was a little, I was a little bit shy on Kasperi Kapanen going into this season because that was really the story of his life. Ever since he was 13, 14 years old, he'd always be played in a league a little bit more experienced than than a player of his age should be playing, and he never really put up huge numbers. And for a while, people started to get skeptical because even last year, he wasn't really electrifying the AHL. But he was also 19 years old. Most 19-year-olds aren't even allowed to play in the AHL because of the CHL transfer agreement. Uh, and he, he had a really, really good training camp with the Leafs. And there was a lot of people being like, yeah, yeah, Cappy looks great. Call him up. And I, right away, it was like, no, this is the year where he needs to go in. He needs to dominate the AHL. He needs to find his uh, offensive comfort zone. And if you want him to be that electrifying top six prospect that you that you so hope, he needs to he needs to feel confidence and he needs to learn how to be a scorer. And that's what they've done with him this year. He's near the top of the AHL in points. And and, and I'm back on the bandwagon as long as they keep him there throughout the year. Because if you if you give a guy off the, the confidence to score goals, he will continue to score goals if he has a talent. No doubt. Now we're on to the Pittsburgh Penguins defending Stanley Cup champions. Cam, what do they have to be thankful for? Mike, Mike Sullivan. A phenomenal hire midway through last year as their head coach just like completely flipped that team around. They were 15, 10, and 3 and were bad uh, when they fired Mike Johnson, their coach at the time, hired Mike Sullivan. They went 33, 16, and 5. I don't know those numbers off by head. I'm reading them on hockey reference. So don't, <laughs> don't, I'm not going to pretend that I'm like some photographic memory. But yeah, no, they, <clears throat> they, they, they flipped everything around and they won the Stanley Cup and they look like they could win again this year. And I think Mike Sullivan's a huge part of that. I mean, the year before they lost in the first round, 4 to 1 against the Rangers and looked pretty hopeless. And I think a lot of people were kind of saying, oh, look, like the Penguins, you know, they're 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 getting up there. Like Crosby and Malkin are a bit older. Their cap situation's ugly. Um, Chris Letang's health is a worry. But now they, they're back to being that team they were in the, the you know, 2008-9-10, like as probably arguably the best team in the league. And that's obviously a pretty easy reason to be thankful for. Jeff? 
Uh, yeah, that's there, there. There's not really a lot about the penguins that isn't business as usual. Like Sid is still great. Uh, Gino's still great. Phil looks like Lee Phil right now, and Lee Phil was a star in his own right. So they've got three superstars there. Uh, I guess they can be thankful that Matt Murray wasn't overly affected by his injury from the World Cup. He uh, he's looked incredible for them yet again this year. Which to people who have been following him for a long time isn't really a surprise. He was the American League's best goalie for several years which is not something that normally happens when, when those several years start at age 20. Um, he's, he's kind of putting them in a tough situation because now they got to decide between him and Fleury come, uh, come June, July. But uh, it, to, to have a player of that caliber that they've locked up recently for, uh, for a nice low cost um, that's going to keep them in a lot of games and is very, very quickly becoming one of the best goaltenders in the world. Uh, that's a good thing. And really, Pittsburgh's sudden wealth of goaltending is, is huge because they they had that little era where Fleury was all right, but nothing amazing. He was just good enough for the superstars to keep them afloat. Now they're in a position where even on their off nights, they have a chance at winning. And that's definitely something Penguins fans are going to be thankful for and have been thankful for for the past couple of years. The Penguins got to be thankful for the lockout, don't you think? You know, ended up getting Sidney Crosby through that draft afterwards. I I think that's where they need to be the most thankful. Um, Sidney Crosby, slowly but surely, we talked to Bill West about this, Jeff, how, you know, he's doing so well and he's not the conversation. And I think that's good for him. If he's able to just kind of sneak under the radar, be above point per game, then heck, you know, you'll take that every every day of the week and you're not, you know, he's not gonna be the person you target. And heck, Phil Kessel's doing such a great job, like you said, it's he's not necessarily the focal point when he really should be. I think they can also be thankful for the last lockout too in respect to Sid, because it gave him time to recover from all his injuries as well. Like he had only played twenty two games the year before, and I think he missed uh, a dozen or so uh in in the, the the lockout half season. But that gave him the time to kind of recover his brain, recover his neck, recover all all, all the areas that had been affected over those couple of seasons uh that really could have disrupted his career. And because he had that extra couple months rest, we've got we've gone to see typical superstar sit and you you can't complain about that. He's again, at worst, he's borderline the best player in the world. At best, he's still the best player in the world. Um, there's certainly a huge drop off uh, after him and Connor. So it's uh, it's good to see even at 29 that he's still dominating the game the way that he does. No doubt. Uh, Cam, Western Conference. <laughs> Yeah, we're on our last Western Conference team now, and that's the Jets. And I, they're either, they either should be thankful for lottery luck, which resulted them getting Patrick Laine, who I think Jeff can agree is the best player from the 2016 draft, <laughs> or they could agree, or they could be thankful for the fact that uh, Kevin Shevoldayov made the right decision. I remember there was about this time last year there was some, for some reason, legitimate debate. Oh, gee, should we sign Dustin Bufflin or should we sign Andrew Ladd or let them both walk? And they ultimately chose to give Dustin Bufflin a five-year deal, which looks phenomenal right now. He's still damn good. And they let Andrew Ladd walk and have the worst new contract in the league. Um, I think I think they definitely need to be thankful for Patrick Laine. I think he is clearly the best goal scorer of all time, 24%. Uh, <laughs> shooting percentage is completely normal. Uh, actually... Even still, I think he's I, I think he's a legitimately fantastic player, and I think that he's going to be someone who who does a lot of damage for a long time. Is going to be one of the best goal scorers in the league. I also think people need to slow their roll a little bit on uh, 
on how great he is immediately the second we started talking about oh maybe he can actually break Solani's 76 it was like guys seriously no. uh, let, let's get on with it and sure enough things have already started to normalize and he has one goal since uh, since his hat trick against Dallas so and that was let's see that was eight games ago so yeah it's he, he's starting to come back to normal and normal's fine uh, he, at the end of the day he needs to shoot a little bit more and that's what's really going to make him a great goal scorer it's not going to be the fact that he seems to have like a counter strike aimbot attached to him when he's when he's playing at the point um, and then and then beyond that uh, Ehlers looks great uh, Blake Wheeler has become the star player that some people uh, felt he would be but most were a little bit skeptical of uh there, there, there's a lot of pieces there, and I think they're going to be a team that's competitive in the West for a long time, and you really can't complain about that. No, you really can't. And uh, the Jets actually traded Ladd to the Blackhawks. Uh, there, uh, the Blackhawks were the people who let him walk. There, Cam. But I think the Jets have to be thankful for their young prospects. Similar to a lot of the other teams, they have a good core there. They have, you know, Ealers. You know, they have Petten. They have. Connor, they have Dano, they have a lot of players there that I think are going to be, you know, at least serviceable NHLers in the way that they are putting the team together. I think slowly but surely, Shevel Dayoff, you know, he's given a hard time for his lack of deal making, but he's stuck with the course. The owners have, you know, allowed him to, you know, stay that way. And it's been a, a pretty good, uh, you know, ascension thus far to see this team, you know, the youngsters and the, uh, the core players, you know, come together there. Um, moving on to the Eastern Conference, we have the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, there's a lot to be thankful for there. I, I can't even you know start begin to run that down. Cam, what, what do you think of the if Lightning? They managed to fit all those contracts in, and you just I, I even wrote about this last year for NHL, and, and it was um, we we all think about Steven Stamkos as the soon to be free agent. This was this time last year, but you know Victor Hedman also needs a new deal immediately, and then Nikita Kucherov's going to need a new new deal right away too. Andre Vasilevsky, same thing, and they managed to fit all of them in. They have had they have Hedman signed, they have Stamkos signed, and I mean they didn't even have to didn't they didn't even have to say dump a Ryan Callahan and retain half of his salary or Valtteri Filippula. They managed to they managed to get it all in, and it's going to be hard again this summer too. They have Johnson, Palat, and Drouin, um, and uh, the only one really coming off the shelf is Ben Bishop. So it's not going to be an easy summer, but like man, they managed to they managed to get Stamkos signed, and that's awesome. Yeah, and I th- and I think they need to be thankful for almost each other because that's how that all comes together. These guys signed because they got they saw all the players around them buying in um, and taking these sweetheart deals. I don't know if uh, I don't know if consistently playing chicken is uh, is GM wizardry. I think at some point it'll it it, it, it comes to burn uh, it comes to burn a GM, but it worked out uh, it worked out for them. And it'll work out for a little bit longer. I'm not sure uh, what happens when Kucherov's deal uh, wraps up in a couple years. I think that's where their window kind of starts to close up again. But in the meantime, you look at a Stamkos and, and it's like, okay, well, this isn't the most amazing contract. I could be making more money elsewhere. But all these other guys on my team have bought in. And then Hedman sees that and he's ready to buy in. Vasilevsky sees that he's ready to buy in Kucherov, so on and so forth. Uh, It's a team that's playing for each other right now. And with the amount of skill that's there, um, there's no reason for them not to be doing it. And while, while it lasts and while it's together, it's a lot of fun to watch. For sure. Cam, we're all done in the Western conference, correct? Yep. We're on to the Leafs now, which I guess Jeff can just kind of take that one and run. You know, I was about to skip over them. That, that was that was me trying to set you up for a joke so we nothing, can just go straight to the Washington to Capitals. Nothing to be thankful for in Toronto. 
Um, they need to be thankful for Roman Polak and Matt Hunwick for giving us something to complain about because otherwise, uh, otherwise we would be the most insufferable uh, city on earth. Well, we already are, but like more so. Um, no, Austin Matthews has been incredible even through his drought. He was one of the best volume shooters in the league, and all he was always getting his opportunities up close. Um, you're, you're you'd be hard pressed already to find a pair uh, a team that has a better winger pair than uh, William Nylander and Mitch Marner. They exist, obviously, but uh, but they're they're in the conversation for the best duo, which out of two rookies is incredible. Um, Nazem Kadri is having a heck of a year. He's been used as more of a shutdown guy, but he's also putting up points that he wasn't doing last year. Uh, Tyler Bozak has worked out as a mentor uh, for Marner. I, I talked about this actually a couple a couple days ago, and it's really weird because. Uh, because Mar- Marner can look at a Bozak and be like, yeah, you're a guy I looked up to, um, which you don't often get. You don't get a guy who who gets drafted by his hometown team and gets to actually play with his idols and ask uh, ask questions about things in the past and how and things that he had seen and connected as a fan. And that can help him build uh, his game. Um there, there, there's a lot of stuff. I can go on forever and ever, and it would be insufferable. But, uh, but, but right now they're a team that's slightly above average. Could be, could, could make some decisions that would help them get a little bit better. Um, but they're also just the most entertaining team in the league right now. It's, it, it, it's so fun watching them uh, take a bazillion shots, probably give up a bazillion in one, and they'll roll the dice every night and see who comes out on top. And it's just electrifying to watch. No doubt. The, no Leafs, doubt. the Leafs also should be thankful. I mean, the rebuild uh, coming from an Oilers perspective, I mean, has gone <laughs> a lot smoother than, you know, the one that I watched. But um, the Leafs should also be thankful that, like, I don't think there's ever been a time in Toronto sports where Toronto teams have been this good. They can be thankful for the Jays. They can be thankful for the Raptors taking a lot of heat off of them because the Leafs, I mean, they're the big ticket in Toronto no matter what. And even if they did suck this year, it's okay because you have the Jays going to the ALCS. The Raptors are probably going to hit the conference finals again and lose to the Cavs. But it's like, it's it's a good sports market right now in Toronto to fly under the radar, which is not something you can say about the Leafs ever. Because it's it's hard for that team to fly under the radar. I I, I think I said it the other day. Um, The Jays, Raptors, TFC, and the Marlies uh, all went to the final four of their uh, of their respective playoffs in the span of seven months. So if there's a time where the Leafs can get away with just being okay, it's it's right now. That's a no no question. No, without a doubt. I think that the person I'm thankful for, at least watching the Maple Leafs, has to be Austin Matthews. Watching that first game where he scored those four goals, it was it was almost surreal. I as a hockey fan, I don't find myself cheering for the Leafs all too often. Um, but you know, you can at least respect what he was able to do that game and watching it. You kept thinking to yourself, oh my God, I don't, I don't know if anybody in this league can stop him. And that's not, <laughs> and that's not necessarily something you think in someone's first game. And I think there's going to be a point in time in which he's putting the puck in the net, you know, with a lot of him and vigor again. And when he's able to do that, I think he's going to, he's going to be in that conversation for the next 10, 15 years. He definitely has the skill set. I'm just really, really excited to see how he grows. And as a, just an overall hockey fan, he's got to be one of my favorite players in the entire game. Closing it up. Closing it up. Washington Capitals. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Holtby. They got a whole lot of players over there they could be thankful for. Uh, who do you think that they should be thankful for the most? Um, 
yeah, that's a, that, that's a tough one. Maybe, maybe I, I might go off the board here and say Philip Grubauer. He's only played four games so far, but he's been just as good as Holpe has been in those ones. And and like we've said with so many of these teams, having a goalie that can constantly keep you in games, um, it, it gives you it gives you stability. It gives you uh, an ability to take more risks. And the Caps have had that from both their guys. Uh, other than that, it's pretty business as usual. We know Backstrom's great. We know Ovi is Ovi. We know Oshi is someone in the middle. Uh, Kuznetsov's playing a little bit below where he was last year, but that'll probably uh, turn itself around. Uh, yeah, I'm going. I'm going with stable goaltending. Yeah, there's there's everything to be thankful here. And one thing that gets uh, overlooked with the Caps is depth. They just have you know players like Justin Williams, Daniel Winnick, Lars Eller. Uh, there's a significant amount of depth in this team. Like so many scoring options, and it's nice to see finally that it's not just Ovechkin, Backstrom. There's also like a Johansson, Oshie, Kuznetsov, Burakovsky. There's like a lot of scoring options in this, on this team. But ultimately, like the Caps can't feel too great until they do end up winning and it, it, it'd be a damn shame if this group never wins together just because i mean it would suck to not see ovechkin win a stanley cup but i think that if, if it's ever going to happen it's this group right now because i don't know if they can they did a really good job of retooling this team and i don't know if they can do it again with him being 31 and i think this might be kind of their serious go these next two years they're going to be thankful for whichever team is going to beat the penguins in the playoffs and i I don't know if they mentally have it to be able to defeat them this year. It's going to have to be them, I think. I, I really do. Th- I, I, you know, I'm coming to that realization myself that it's going to have to be them, but that's just really, really going to be tough for them, especially with how deep they are. And those, these two teams, like you know, the Penguins and the Capitals, they're two of the deepest teams in the entire league, and it's just a shame that they, you know, they can't, you know. They one of them has to be defeated, and one of them, you know, one of them is going to move on. And I kind of hope at some points the Capitals, just from a storyline perspective, and I really hope that they're able to, you know, get Ovechkin at Stanley Cup. I know in the grand scheme of things, he's still going to be one of the greatest goal scorers like of his generation, but or any generation for that matter, of all time. Yeah, Definitely exactly. Time. Um, <laughs> just this generation. Uh, but I. I think if he gets that Stanley Cup, that's going to be one of those sweet moments in, you know, hockey history is that, you know, he played for such a long period of time. He was so dominant. You know, he completely like, rounded out his game a whole lot. There is something there that, you know, he's doing everything in his power to make him, you know, one of the best players in the game. And I really hope that uh, Ernie best players, uh, you know, one of the more complete players in the game with his Stanley Cup. And I think that's going to be one of the better storylines going moving on this year. And I think that they need to be thankful for uh, Alexander Ovechkin. And somehow, guys, I don't know how we did this, but, you know, we are finally done. We finally did all 30 teams in the NHL. It's been about an hour and 40 minutes, and we've made it through. And if you've listened to this entire podcast, by the way, Thank you're, you. you're nuts. You're nuts. I don't, I don't <laughs> even know why you're, why you're doing this. You know, That's who I'm really thankful for, for the people who are still listening at this point in the show. <laughs> exactly. The people who have done this for an hour and 40 minutes. All right. Well, you can follow me at Sam underscore Blazer. You can follow uh, Cameron at. Are you going to say it? No, you always say it. No, I don't want to say it. It makes me feel no, weird when I have to say, say it. it. No, you got to say it. It's funny when you say it. It's not funny if I say it's, it. It's at Coom. It's creepy if I say it. At Coom. <laughs> uh, and uh, Jeff, where can they follow you? 
Um, probably for the sake of spelling, follow the Leafs Nation account, TLNDC, and then my username should be in the bio. Honestly, you can probably follow TLN and not have to deal with me talking about FIFA at 12.30 in the morning and uh, still get the content, but uh, it's your choice where you want to go from there. <laughs> the content. I love the hashtag content. Hashtag yeah, yes, content. Yesterday I got... Um, I got really obsessive over a skill activity in FIFA, uh, one that I hadn't gotten an A on uh, the entire time I've been playing this game. And I decided yesterday was the night, and I started tweeting about it. And I eventually started, like, applying analytics to trying to get this done, like trying to figure out how often I had to score a goal and what my shot rates would be. And I did it. It took me, like, three hours, but I did it. And then I actually had to play the game that it was a pregame for, so... I know. That's what you'll find if you go on my Twitter. <laughs> no, I've, I know exactly what you're talking about, though. When you play that FIFA game, a lot of times you can just get obsessed and hooked in that area. Like, you just want to be able to get it, and then whatever for whatever reason, I can never translate it into the game. I just, be, just start becoming, like, an idiot where I just cross the ball all the time and, you know, through pass it until someone, like, somehow gets behind the defense. That's just how I am with that game. But I, I've been there before, Jeff. Uh, yeah. With Advanced, all the games... Advanced shooting skills challenge. That's uh, that's the kicker. No doubt. Well, until next time, we'll be back here on Monday. Go Bucks. <laughs>